The Story Emporium presents a Halloween special told by Phil McDermott. Episode 1. Hello, everyone. <clears throat> well, um, a little tale today, because it is the season. And this tale is a riff on a story by Angela Carter. Uh, I read it years and years and years ago, and I haven't read it since. So what has stayed with me is the narrative, the plot elements, I'm afraid. Um, and I admire Angela Carter. But it's very difficult for a storyteller to tell her because her work is very literary. In, in, but only in the sense that the language she uses, so rich, so strange, is particular to her. And so taking her stories is difficult, but taking her ideas is a little bit easier. Um, now, she wrote fairy tales, but she, I think, wanted to mine them for their true meaning, because all fairy tales have been licked so clean by the tongue over generations and generations, they sometimes don't give any clue to where they began. But this one I liked. It's a sort of a version of Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast has always been, for me, a, a, quite a difficult tale because, you know, if you can imagine a young woman running back to her mother and saying, oh, mother, I've made a mistake. He's awful, the man I married. He's manipulative. He's controlling. He's violent. He despises me. Oh, mother, what am I to do? And the mother turns around and says, Darling, my love, you must go back to him. And you must do everything he says, and you must treat him with love and kindness. Because if you do that, the beast will disappear, and the, the prince will arrive, and your dreams will come true. Of course, it's the biggest load of baloney any mother has told her child. Um, in that situation, what you do is you call the police, you pack a bag, and you go. You go quickly, and you go, and you tell everyone, and you stay with friends. I think Carter has solved that issue for me. And so here it is. Beauty and the Beast. <clears throat> the Lord sat in his big chair, looking into the fire. The remains of his meal sat on the table, and he had a drink by his side, and that fire was big and crackling and spitting. He stared into the fire. He began to see pictures in the fire. Now, he was alone in that big house because all of the servants had been given their half day off a year, unpaid, of course, whether they liked it or not. And that means once a year, for half a day, he was alone with his thoughts, and he stared in that fire, and the rain came down outside, and it soaked the world, and it set up a hum within the house, a hum that took him out of himself, and even the creaks and the groans of that house in the wind wouldn't bring him back. But during his dream, looking into that fire, during his reverie, he heard a knocking, insistent knocking. And he thought it was part of the dream, but then he realized, and it 
took him back into the room, back into reality. It was not part of the dream. It was actual. He was not pleased. And so, wrapping a big blanket around his shoulders, he made his way out of that warm room into the cold corridor and down to the front door. He unlocked it, unlatched it, and opened it and stared into the rain, into the night. And for a while he could see nothing. And then a shape appeared, and the shape stepped forward, stepped out of the rain. And the shape was a woman holding a bundle. And the shape said to him, Oh, please, my lord, please, my baby and I, we've been caught in the rain, we've got nowhere to go. Please give us your barn just for the night. Or, or a lean-to, or one of the byres where the cows are. It'll be warmer there for my baby. My baby is sick, my baby is ill. Please, my lord, have mercy this night. And the lord looked at her, and the lord smiled. And the lord said, if you ever go into my barn, my lean-tos, my byres, anywhere my animals are, anywhere the shelter on my land, if you go there, you will rue the day you were ever born. Now get off my land, or I'll take a switch to you now. And he turned, and he slammed the door. And before he was halfway down the corridor, he'd completely forgotten about her. He walked into his room, warm room, and he sat in his leather chair, looked into the fire, and heard the rain and wind howling outside. Well, the next morning he woke up and the sun streamed in. The servants had opened the curtains, and he could feel the land, feel it drying now and steaming from the storm of the night before. He rose himself. The servants washed him. They put on a clean shirt. They put on his trousers. He made his way down to the breakfast room, and there he had a plate of deviled kidneys and some eggs and toast. And he decided he'd go out. He'd walk the land and see what the damage had been. The servants, they squeezed his boots on, put his coat on, gave him his hat, and he took one of his big sticks, and he strode out of the house. He walked the lanes, and everywhere he walked, the people working in the fields, if he came close, they would stop what they were doing, turn to him, bow their heads, and remove their hats. And only when he had passed would they get on with their work. After about an hour down one particularly wet lane, he saw in a ditch a parcel, a bunch of rags. He poked it with the stick, and it was the woman the woman from last night. She looked at him. She looked at him brazen, and she stood up, and she screamed at him, my baby is dead. My baby is dead because you would not give me shelter. I curse you. I curse you. And on that second curse, it was as if an emerald was shot through his brain. And he fell back, fell stiff as a board, onto his back, onto the lane, his hat falling off, his stick out of his hand, and he lost consciousness. The people working in the fields, they saw it. 
They saw it happen. They saw the women, woman scurrying away, but instead of running to help their master, they picked up any of the tools they could lay their hands on, and they ran, they ran across the fields, taking the tools with them. They could sell them. And he lay there, lay there in the sun for hours. And when he woke, he opened his eyes. And he couldn't see at first. He, he made his way up onto his feet. He stretched out his hands. He looked around, and soon his eyes got used to the light. But now they could only see in black and white. Everything was monochrome. He made his way, made his way down the lane, leaving his hat and his stick. He, he couldn't see anyone in the fields. And by somehow, by touch, by looking, by, by these strange sights of trees, walls, and lane that he kind of recognized, he found his way to the house. He opened the creaky gate. He's made his way to the front door. He opened the front door, and then the pain again hit him in the head, and he collapsed onto the tile floor. A servant coming round the corner with a tray of glasses and cutlery looked at him, screamed and dropped it all. Whispers went all over the mansion, and the servants went for it. They opened the drawers, they emptied them, they stuffed their pockets with cutlery and clocks, with sheets and bedding, and they made their way out the windows because they didn't want to pass him in the lawn. They rifled the place and scattered. He was there, lying face down. And then he woke again, and he looked, and he knew it was night by the quality of the light. And then it began. The pain began. This agony as his legs began to twist in their hip sockets, twist until the knees came round, brushed each other, then faced the other way. His spine cracked and split and grew. Big hair grew out of his skin, sharp hairs, tough hairs, and his jaw broke, his mouth elongated, the sounds coming out of his mouth. He couldn't believe he was saying them, and his nails grew, and claws grew, and a tail pushed its way out, and then it happened again. Complete loss of light. And he woke up, and he was in his bed. And it must have been a dream, but his bed was wet. And when he looked at his bed, he saw his bed was soaked in blood. At first he thought it was coming for him. He, he, he looked at his, to see if he had any wounds. He couldn't find any. But then he remembered his dream. That's right, the dream. He leapt out of the window. He'd run, running, running through the forest. That's right, that's right. And then he saw it, the white tail of a deer. And he ran after the deer, some hunger in him. After the deer, as the deer bounded under boughs, over branches. But he caught the deer. He caught the deer and he'd ripped that deer apart with his teeth. But now what was he? Was he animal or human? He got out of the bed. His jacket was split. Lit his 
trousers were hanging off him. He ripped those clothes, went to his wardrobe, opened again, and attempted to put on another jacket. But now his shoulders were so broad, each jacket split. No trousers would fit him. He went over to the clocks, the many clocks that hadn't been stolen, the clocks that were left in his house. He tried to wind them. He tried to do some kind of human activity, but his claws were so big they couldn't manipulate the dials or the cogs. He went down but felt he was not hungry. He howled in the daytime, howled, but noticed things now noticed that he wasn't cold. There was no fire, but he was quite content. Noticed how beautiful his fur was. Noticed that as he walked, his tail gave him balance. And as the night fell, noticed that strange sensation in his mouth, the watering, the hunger in his belly, the cruelty in his mind. And off out the window he went. Well, all of the people living in the villages around the manor began to get very suspicious. They'd heard the rumours from the servants who had fled. And now, every night, something else seemed to happen. Cows disappeared from fields to be found later in ditches, eviscerated. Sheep, even the big prize bull... Well, if something could have brought down that bull, that something was big. But it was only when a, a farmer, one of the neighbors, walking home at night was taken, and just his clothes and his offal remained, that they decided to do something about it. So they reached up and into their cupboards and took out their old weapons, the swords, the hatchets, the scythes, the sickles, the hammers, the blades, and all of the men and the boys of the villages went into the forest. They would hunt that creature down. And the women, the girls, waited for them. And they waited in vain, because not a man or a boy returned. So what they did, they packed up their belongings, and they joined another stream of refugees from another war, and they disappeared into history. Well, that land was now benighted. No one would settle there. And nature took over man's dominion. In his own house, from the sinks grew ash plants first. And the ash plants turned into trees and they cracked the pipes. Trees grew inside and out through the roofs. And soon... All, all of the roofs now would not keep out the rain, and the rain did the rest of the work. And Jack Frost, that nimble engraver, put his fingers in all the nooks and crannies of the house, prying it apart. He used to love hearing the pop and squeal of wood. He was now the apex predator in that whole valley. A pack of wolves came down one winter, starving to see what they could find. Not one wolf left the forest. He was fast now, faster than any deer. His ears were so keen 
They could hear a whispered secret at a bridge a mile away, and his eyes, although only seeing in monochrome, could see detail, but his nose, his nose could smell fear, and that's what he lived for. That was his drug, fear, chasing the deer, chasing the domestic animals that had escaped, the odd human wandering in the wood, chasing them. He loved the fear, and it happened. One evening, he leapt out of bed. There was someone in the house. It was ruined, this house. What did they want here? How dare they come into his house? They will rue the day they ever set forth on his land. Sneaking out of the room, he jumped onto the balustrade and looked down into the old dance hall, and there they were, a man and a girl. Oh, how she held his hand, how she clasped him to her. The man, frightened, looking around, speaking, Hello, hello, uh, we're lost here. May we stay? just to have some shelter. It rains outside, it's cold. He looked at that girl. She loved that man. He was her father. Oh, what joy, what pleasure he would get. He leapt down right in front of them. Oh, their screams might have been pleasure enough. He went for the man. But the girl, she stepped between them. She said, do not hurt my father. Oh, what love. What pleasure it would be to spoil that love, to dirty it, to muddy it. He grabbed that girl and he threw her into the locked room at the top of a round tower. The man puffing up the steps to save his little child. He grabbed him by the hair, dragged him down, dragged him, dragged him out into the forest, bumping along, scratching and scraping until he got to the edge of the forest. And then he looked at the man and he said, I want you to live. I want you to imagine what I'm doing to your daughter. And then turning, he ran, ran through the woods. He was heading back home, heading back home. What would he do? He would, he would, oh, he would, he would squeeze her. He would torture her. He would have her live in agony and he would collect her tears, but that, that wateriness in the mouth, it overtook any plans that he had. He wouldn't do that. He was going to eat her. He was going to rip her apart and eat her as soon as he got there. He got into the mansion. He ran up that spiral staircase to the top tower. He unlocked that room, opened the door, and there she was, so frightened in the corner. He moved over to her. He extended his claw, and with one downward sweep so elegant like a swordsman, he ripped into her dress, taking some of the skin with it, and then he stood back. But she didn't scream. She looked at him. Those green eyes flashed. There was danger here. 
her tongue came out. Her tongue, now moving like a limb, went down and started to lick the dress. The torn dress, the torn dress fell off into a puddle at her feet. But not only that, she began to lick her wounds. She began to lick the cuts that his claws had made. And as she licked the skin off, he could see underneath was black fur. She continued to lick. She licked until all that skin fell down like a soaking overcoat on the ground. And there she stood, and she watched him, and her tail swung from side to side, and for the first time in his life, he felt fear, that cold lead drop in the heart, and he squealed, he squealed, and he turned, and he ran down the stairs, and she finished licking her fur. And she flashed her eyes, and she went after him. And that is the end of the story. <laughs>